get you to shout. It's, now, if you're older than that or quite a bit older than that, that's enough to get you to shout. It's <laughs> no aches, no pains, no all those troubles. Uh, I don't know how it was for you back in 33, but it was pretty good for me. Amen. I think I was 32 when I first came to this church. I, no, I was 32 when I surrendered to preach. I was 35 when I came here. It seems like a lifetime ago. But anyway, I'm glad there's that wonderful place called heaven. Amen. And uh, whatever's wrong down here, it'll be right there. Romans chapter 5. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5. And uh, I believe this is where the Lord would have us tonight. And we'll start in verse 6 where we left off this morning. And uh, just go down to verse 11 and finish this thought on justification. Uh, and then the next time we're able to get back into this book, whenever that may be, uh, we'll start looking at the doctrine of, of sanctification. There'll be some good truth in there. So if you're able tonight, let's stand together. Romans chapter 5. We'll begin our reading in verse 6 and read through verse 11. And then we'll ask the Lord to help us tonight. Verse 6 said, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by death, by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a good day that you've given us and the good singing this evening, good time of worship and Lord I pray that you'd help us now as we just look on a little farther in this tremendous book of Romans and Lord in this great chapter that winds up Paul's teaching on justification uh, as far as Romans is concerned and Lord we'll th we're thankful for it tonight we're thankful for the truth of the doctrine what it means how it settles our heart knowing that we are justified if we're saved right in the sight of God and Lord we just ask tonight you would encourage your people and help us see some more great truths concerning this doctrine. And again, Lord, we ask you if there's one here that's not saved or maybe one listening to the live stream, the radio broadcast, and they're not saved, Lord, let this be the hour that they would turn to you. Uh, Lord, we know you're soon coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but every day we live, it's getting that much closer to your return. And Lord, we want to see as many as will be saved and spend eternity together in heaven. And Father, touch that heart that's away from you tonight. Draw them to yourself, and we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. And tonight I just want to pick up where we left off this morning. We finished looking at those uh, seven results of justification. We'll pick up in verse 6 tonight and just go through this verse by verse. And I guess if I had a thought for this tonight, I almost entitled it uh, Then and Now, because down in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul said, Much more then, being now. And in this text tonight, we're going to see where he deals with some past uh, truths about where we were at and some, some present truths about where we're at because we're justified. But I guess if I had a title tonight, maybe to go along with the thought, it would be the journey of justification. Here Paul kind of sums up everything that he's taught us uh, all the way back in the 21st uh, verse of chapter 3 
concerning justification. One good way to look at justification is like a jewel that is many faceted. It's, it's all in one entire stone, but there's many different aspects of justification. We've looked at those about uh, faith and all the different parts of justification we looked at in chapter 5 and how the justification back in chapter 4 was apart from the law and uh, it was defined in chapter 3 what it means to be justified, to be seen righteous, to be seen right in the eyes of God. So tonight I want to just pick up in verse 6 and look at a couple things tonight that Paul sums up this journey of justification. Verses 6 through 8 we're going to look at our past. Paul deals with some things about our past, where we were at before we got saved. And I think it does some good sometimes for the believer to go back and to be reminded of where we were at before we got saved. Be reminded where God has brought us from and what He's done for us. Sometimes we forget that. If we've been saved a while and walked with the Lord many years, we forget where we were at. We forget how good God has been to bringing us out of that life of sin and that place of being at enmity with God on the road to hell, and then placing us in the family of God through the new birth. So we're going to look at the past, verses 6 through 8, and then we'll look at our present, verses 9 through 11. So let's notice about three things about our past here in verses 6, 7, and 8. Number one, in verse 6, uh, Paul reminds us when we were weak. He's talking about being spiritually weak, uh, not able to save ourselves, not able to help ourselves. In verse 6, Paul said, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So Paul is talking about the death of Christ, which you and I know that was over 2,000 years ago. And before Christ came, humanity was really without strength. There was the Old Testament law. There was the Old Testament sacrifices that were given. But if you look at that, they never really completely saved men. It was just a credit, if you will. It was just a passing or a, a pushing back of sin uh, for a period of time until the Bible said Christ came in the fullness of time. All those Old Testament animal sacrifices never did away with sin. They never forgave one sin. It was just a pushing back. But when Christ came, He died for the whole scope of sin. He died for past, present, and future sin. I know sometimes when people get saved and they don't understand the Scripture and then they do sin, they say, well, now I've sinned. I'm going to have to pay for that myself. No, when Christ died on the cross, he paid for past, present, and future sins. I had a well-meaning preacher one time. He said, well, I don't think he paid for future sins, just my past sins. And I said, sir, all your sins were future when Christ died. And all of our sins were future when Christ died. So he covered the whole spectrum of sin past, present, and future. But Paul reminds us here tonight that we, humanity, were yet without strength. We had no ability to save ourselves. <clears throat> we had no ability to obtain the forgiveness of sin until Christ came. If you think of one event that uh, fundamentally changed the world, it was the, the birth and the, the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Those days of Christ and Him coming to this earth and dying on the cross and 
rising again, ascending back to the Father. They fundamentally changed the world. If you don't believe that, just look at the calendar. If you look at the calendar, you'll go back. And uh, we split time in this world in two halves. We split time in the days before Christ. And then we split time up to where we're at now from the from after the time of Christ, a few years after the birth of Christ, where uh, in the year of our Lord, that's what the A.D. means. I'm not going to try to pronounce it tonight. I think it's Anio Domini, something like that. It's Latin. I have enough trouble with English. Uh, but it's Latin, meaning the year of our Lord. So even time itself testifies that the most major uh, world-changing event that ever took place was uh, Christ coming on the scene. So Paul reminds us we were weak. We need to be reminded of that tonight. Totally helpless concerning our past estate. No man has ever been able to pull himself up by his own bootstraps, to save himself, to do enough works to be uh, deemed righteous or holy in the eyes of God. Christ had to come. If, if he had not came, no man would have the opportunity of being saved. So we're very thankful tonight as a believer and we rejoice over the fact that Christ came, over the fact that Jesus was willing to leave heaven and come through a virgin's womb, be born into this sinful world, live these years that he lived on earth, and then willingly go to the cross and give his life a ransom for sin, and then be placed in a borrowed tomb, rise on the third day, and ascend back to the Father where he's ever making intercession for us. If it had not been for that, we would still be in a mess tonight. So we can rejoice over our past that we were weak. And then Paul reminds us, we don't like to think of this, but Paul reminds us in the end of verse 6 and through verse 7 that we were wicked. Tonight when we get saved and after we're saved a while, we kind of forget sometimes, don't we? We forget where we used to be. Be very careful when you look at somebody that's not saved and get the mentality of, well, they're too far gone. Don't do that tonight because some of us, people probably thought we were too far gone. Some of us, people probably thought they'll never get saved. They'll never have a change. But here we are tonight, saved by the grace of God, sitting in the house of God, enjoying the goodness of God. All men without Christ are wicked. At the end of verse number 6, Paul reminds us this by saying that Christ died for the ungodly. That's the entirety of the human race. If you, if you remember several weeks and months ago when we were back in chapter 2 and chapter 3 in our study of the book of Romans, how that Paul really took all of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and about half of chapter 3 just convincing men of how wicked we are without God. We need to be reminded. You know why? Because man has a, a pride within himself. Man has a flesh nature to somehow think that he has something to do with his salvation. Uh, that's what all these works-based religions are about. Uh, somehow or another, they just can't get to the place where they believe that it's in Christ and Christ alone, somehow they've got to pray a prayer, they've got to do something, and I know we receive Christ, that's our personal responsibility, but salvation is procured by what he did, not by, by what we've done, and man doesn't like that, man doesn't like to see himself wicked, if you'll remember before you got saved, I remember when I got saved, the hardest part of my salvation experience was coming to the realization I was lost. I thought I was a pretty good person. I hadn't been put in jail. I hadn't killed anybody. I hadn't been too awful bad. I thought, you know, as far as humanity's concerned, I'm doing all right, maybe better than most people. But there came a day in my life where the Holy Spirit showed me through the Word of God just how wicked I was. And until you see that, we call that conviction, until you see that, you're never going to see a need to come to Christ. But when you see that and you're convinced in your heart 
that you are just like every other individual that's never been saved. We're wicked and there's nothing good in us. The Bible said there's none righteous, no, not one. Until a, a man or a woman, boy or girl comes to that realization, then they're never going to be saved. And Paul goes on in verse number 7 and said, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Now, sometimes we have read stories. I like to read military history. And I have read some stories of wars and days gone by where men would give their life for their fellow soldier, maybe that was a good person or a, a good soldier, and they came down to a situation of life and death, and some men would, would run out to face the enemy to give their life uh, instead of other men that were there fighting. And that's always heroic. That, that's always a good thing to read about, encouraging when you read about those things. But the Bible reminds us tonight in verse 7, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. And of course we know there's none righteous outside of Christ. Well Paul takes it a little further in this verse and said, yet for adventure for a good man would some even dare to die. So he's coming down the list. He starts out with the righteous man and says, scarcely for a righteous man. If we knew somebody that was righteous and somebody that loved God and really walked with God, we, we might be inclined at some point in our life to maybe give our life for them, but that's, that's rare. Paul said that's scarce. And then he tightens it up a little bit more and he said, now you just take a, a general good man. There's a lot of good people in this world. I, I know the Bible said there's none good as far as spiritually, but when you think about just good common people, people that try to do what's right, people that are not a menace to society, they pay their bills and they're a joy to be around and they're a good neighbor. There's a lot of people like that in this world that we would use the terminology of good. We know they're not good as far as uh, spiritually speaking, but we would say, and we've probably said that before, hey, that's a pretty good fellow over there. You know that lady, she's, she's a good lady. She's a nice lady. She's kind. Uh, she's a joy to be around. There's a lot of good people in this world, but Paul tells us here in verse number 7, he said, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. That narrows it down even more, uh, that somebody would die for someone that's not righteous, but maybe on the scale in the eyes of man being good. Uh, but then we're going to see in just a moment uh, where Paul really takes this uh, in what God has done for us. We were wicked. Christ died for us when we were ungodly. He died for us before we ever got saved, before we ever came to Him, before we ever believed on Him. That's how much He loves humanity. You know tonight, people that are in hell tonight that have rejected the gospel, Christ died for them. The Bible said in Hebrews, He tasted death for every man. And I know the Calvinists would like, this is not pick on Calvinists today, it just come to my mind, but the Calvinists would like for you to believe that there was a limited atonement, that when Christ died on the cross, that somehow or another he just died for those that would get saved and uh, the rest of men had no hope. That's not biblical. That's not true. He died for, he tasted death for every man. I just believe when the Bible says every man, it means every man. No man's going to be able to stand at the great white throne judgment and say, well, Christ didn't die for me. No, that salvation was there waiting on them if they would have received it. So that's how much the Lord loves us. While we were wicked, that was our past condition, He still died for us. But then in verse number 8, I love this verse, He reminds us of our past uh, condition of being weak, He reminds us of being wicked, but thank God in verse 8 He reminds us of our past condition of being wanted. God wanted us, He loved us, that's what the scripture said. In verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's enough to get you excited tonight. That's enough to make you want to say amen. Praise the Lord. That while we were yet sinners, I can't imagine tonight, again, I can't imagine dying for a good man. I, I think about people I would die for and the, the list is pretty short. And I think you would agree tonight. The people that you would purpose in your mind that you would give your life for, pretty short list for the most part. Definitely your, your spouse, definitely your children and, and your immediate family. Hopefully uh, we would stand for each other in the family of God in the church. But really outside of that, it's hard to think of somebody that we would be willing to give our life for. But the Bible tells us God wanted us while we were yet sinners. While we were wicked, the verse reminds us here in verse number 8, God commendeth. Now, this word commendeth means to exhibit, to constitute, or to approve. Uh, God extended, if you will, His love on Calvary while we were yet sinners. Now, you and I know this. You might as well be honest. You don't have to raise your hand and say amen. But might as well be honest. We've been out and about before, and we've come across some, some bad people, Right? We've come across some people that took the Lord's name in vain. We've come across some people that just about every word out of their mouth was cursing and vile. Uh, maybe their, their lifestyle was vile. We knew some things they did and they were wicked. I, I, there's some men I was in the military with. I'm telling you, I, I appreciate our veterans. I thank God for them. But I think I've seen some of the darkest people that I've ever seen on planet earth in the military. Some, some vile men, some wicked men. And, and to look at them in the natural eye, we'd say, whoa, I wouldn't have anything to do with them. To look at them and say, man, I wouldn't even walk across the street to help somebody that's wicked. But the Bible tells us here that Christ died for us while we were ungodly. We, we were those people, you know. We don't like to think of it tonight. You say, preacher, I was brought up in church. I've, I've never went out and been in a bar. I've never went out and done this and that and the other. Yeah, but you was just as lost and I was just as lost as they are tonight. And in the eyes of the Lord, <coughs> we were still wicked and still vile before we got saved. The Bible even uses the terminology in Romans 8 of being at enmity with God. It simply means that we were an enemy with God. How many of you thought before you got saved that you were an enemy to God? I would have never thought that. I would have never testified I'm an enemy to God. I would have said, I like God, and I, I like church people, and I, you know, even though I wasn't saved, I, I didn't have a hatred toward the things of God. But the Bible tells us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we see we were wanted. The work of salvation was completed while we were yet sinners. And I want to say this tonight. If you're not saved, Jesus wants to save you. It's His desire to redeem you. It's His desire for you to get right with Him. That's why He went to the cross. That's why he shed his blood. That's why he went through the mockery of the trial and all that happened there in Pilate's Hall and the Roman soldiers and all the things that took place. He did all that so you and I could be saved. So our past is revealed in verses 6 through 8. And, and that's what justification does. It takes us from our past life to where we are at now. If there's no change, then I believe according to the scripture there's no salvation. Real biblical salvation changes us. It changes us positionally. The moment an individual gets saved, they're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, according to the scripture. There are some fundamental changes in the life of someone that gets born again. And then you see that. There's a difference there. The old things have passed away. The, the all things have become new, according to the scripture. And he moves us from that past place. It's not only a positional change, but it's a practical change. 
If you're really saved tonight, when you got saved, God began to start changing you. I remember in my life, I remember very distinctively that after I got saved, things started changing. My talk changed. My, my desires changed. Things that I used to enjoy before I got saved, I did not enjoy after I got saved. Some of those things I would try to go that direction again and the Holy Spirit would say, no, that's not where you want to go. And you know what? I'd say, yeah, you're right. That's not where I want to go. It was a fundamental change in my life and so it was in yours. And God began to practically change our life. And now look where you're at tonight. If you've been saved a while, go back and look where you were at before you got saved. And when you got saved, the moment you got saved, look where God's brought you from and changed your life, changed your mentality on the Bible, changed uh, the fact that you used to didn't pray and now you pray, changed the way you look, changed the things you listen to. All that was because of justification became effectual in our life. So we go from past to present. Now, we see the three past things that Paul deals with. Now let's look at four present things that Paul deals with. These are elementary, but we need to be reminded of them tonight. In verse number 9, notice this. Now we are saved. And I know that term is thrown around a lot uh, loosely today, but that's a Bible word. It's a Bible term, being saved, <coughs> being born again. I remember when I was a little kid and seeing a book that said you must be born again. I think it was written by Billy Graham or somebody saw a book that said you must be born again. And I can remember very early in my life looking at that title of that book and thinking, what in the world? I was kind of like Nicodemus. Well, how do you get born again? I don't even know if I understood the natural birth at that point in my life. I thought, that's weird. I've never heard anybody being born again. But now that we're saved and reading our Bible and walking by faith, we understand what that means. That means to be justified. That means to be redeemed. Verse number 9, Paul reminds us now we are saved. He says, much more than being now, this is a present state of the believer, justified by his blood. We cannot get around the fact the shed blood of Christ brought that justification to us. Modernism <coughs> doesn't want the blood. Modernism wants a way of works and bypassing the blood and bypassing Calvary. But you're not going to get to heaven that way. I heard it said like this one time, Jesus is the door. We know that in John 10. And the door hinges upon the cross and that's the truth. Without that death on the cross, without that sinless spotless lamb being crucified on the cross, the door of salvation would never be open for man. But tonight we're saved much more than being now justified by his blood. He said, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Now, we know we're saved positionally tonight. The moment an individual turns to Christ, the very moment a person puts their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, they junk their religion, they junk their works, they, they are not trusting anything else. They're putting all their eggs in the basket of the work that Christ did on Calvary. That moment an individual is justified and deemed saved and righteous in the eyes of God. But then he moves on in verse 9, not only to talk about our state of being saved, but our state of being safe. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 9. He said, we shall be saved. Now, is he talking about a later date of being born again? No, that's not what he's talking about here. He said, we shall be saved from what? From wrath through him. You and I as Bible believers understand that God is not only a God of love, he is a God of wrath. And you'll either meet him in love or you'll meet him in wrath. You'll either meet him at the foot of the cross or you'll meet him at the foot of the great white throne judgment. And that's not going to be a place to get saved. That's not going to be a place to have your sins forgiven. If you don't get saved and you end up, you will end up at the great white throne judgment. It's a place of wrath. 
Because we'll be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are at. So here, Paul reminds us, we that are justified, we that are saved, present tense, not only are we saved, but we're saved from the wrath to come. I'm glad I know that tonight. I am so thankful that I understand what the Bible teaches about the wrath to come. I am thankful tonight that I believe the Bible teaches, and I can prove it to you with the Scripture, uh, that we are getting out of here before the tribulation period. We are pre-tribulation, amen? We're not going through it. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5 is one place that tells us that we're not going to suffer the wrath of God. We're not appointed unto wrath. Uh, we've been saved by the grace of God. Great, great illustrations in the Old Testament through Noah and Lot, two good characters that give you great illustrations of Israel and the church. Noah is a type of Israel. What did God do with Noah? He put him in that ark. He preserved him. He didn't take him off the earth or out of the earth, but he preserved him through the tribulation of flood. That's what God's going to do with those 144,000 in the book of Revelation. He's going to put a seal on their forehead, just like he sealed up Noah and his family in the ark. But you and I that are the church, we're typified by Lot. Lot was living in a wicked world, in a wicked society. And you remember those angels came to Lot and said, Hey, we can't destroy this city till we get you out of here. you got to get out of here. God delivered Lot from the wrath to come. So you and I tonight are not only saved, but we're safe from the wrath to come. All that's going to come on unbelievers in the days to come will never fall upon the head of one of God's children. We know that tonight according to the scripture. We're, we're safe from those days and that, that gives us joy. It gives us peace and that's all because we've been justified through Christ. Then notice the third thing that Paul deals with about our present condition. Not only are we saved, born again, not only are we safe from the wrath to come, Wish I had time tonight to deal with eternal salvation, but I think most everybody here understands that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the author of eternal salvation. It's not that we keep ourselves. It's not that we're saved as long as we do good, and if we do bad, we got to get saved again. No, that's a spit in the face of God. Uh, what Christ did on Calvary was effectual enough to keep us. We're not keeping ourselves. But then in verse number 10, He goes a little farther in this by reminding us that we are sons. Look in verse number 10. He said, For if when we were enemies, that's our past condition, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, He said, Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, the Bible said, As many as received Him to them, uh, gave you power to become the sons of God. We're birthed into the family of God. God blessed my wife and I with three sons and six daughters. And my sons were birthed into our family. And we are birthed into the family of God through justification, through the new birth. And therefore, we have sonship. And the Bible teaches us that. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us we get into a family three different ways. And all three ways the Christian is in. We're, we're in three different ways. I mean, we're signed, sealed, delivered. You get in by birth. That's the number one way. And we find in the scripture where you're born again if you're saved. You get in by adoption. We find in the scripture, uh, and we'll see that as we go on in through the book of Romans, we're adopted into the family of God. Then you get in by marriage. That's the other way you get into a family. And guess what? We're headed to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're part of the bride of Christ. So all three ways the child of God is sealed up in his sonship. And notice verse 10, he talks about reconciliation. He said, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So 
He's giving us both sides of reconciliation. You have the work on the cross. You have the power of the blood and uh, the life of Christ that was given on the cross to bring us to God. And then you have the power of His life that keeps us. If Christ had died on the cross, was placed in a borrowed tomb and never rose again, we'd have no hope. We'd have no victory. We'd have no power. We'd have no eternal life. Now this word reconciliation it gives a great idea here. It's talking about the idea of exchanging coins of other, exchanging one coin with another that are of equal value. It's the idea of saying, hey, I like what you got and what I got is worth what you got and let's, let's swap it. And that's exactly what happened. That's what God did when Christ died on the cross. He was re- willing to receive us for the death of His Son. What salvation. What love. He was willing to allow Christ to go to the cross and shed His blood and give His life so that many sons would be begotten into the family of God. And you ever think you're not loved? You just think about Christ going to Calvary and giving His life. Think about God loving us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. There's no greater love than that. And I've told you earlier, I'd have a hard time dying but just for a handful of people that I know. But I'm telling you, when it comes to giving one of my children, nope, that's off the table. I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. I would, I would be more apt to die for somebody than I would give up one of my children. But God so loved this world, He gave His only begotten Son. That's how much He loved us and loves us. He was willing to give His Son so that you and I could become sons of God. What joy, what security, what peace and justification. Let me give you this last thought and I'll finish tonight. In verse 11, we see we are sealed In verse 11 he said this, and not only so, Paul's just adding more good, more icing on the cake if you will. He said and not only so, it doesn't stop there. He said, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement, the payment. Again, the word atonement is very similar to the word of reconciliation. But here's the idea of atonement. If you look in the Old Testament, I know it's a Greek word in the New Testament. It's translated from the Old Testament Hebrew. But if you look in the Old Testament, that word atonement usually was used with the idea of pitching something, sealing it with pitch. And you remember the ark? You remember Noah's ark and what God told him to do? He said, you pitch it within and without. That sealed it within, that sealed it on the outside. Therefore, when Noah and his family got in, they were sealed on the inside. And when the rains came and the fountains of the deep broke open and all that water began to rush around the ark and lift it up off the earth, all that water on the outside couldn't get it on the inside. I don't think it sprung one drop. I I think think the humidity was low inside the ark. That's how good I think it was. I don't know that for sure. I don't have Bible. I don't think one drop of water got in that ark because it was pitched. And that's a type of atonement. When Christ died on Calvary, he sealed the deal for the believer. You and I that are saved tonight, we have been atoned for. We're in Christ, and that's what the ark is. The ark is a picture of Christ. If you look at the ark in the book of Genesis, uh, it was a historical ark, but it's also, uh, by typology, a picture of Christ and being in Christ, being saved. And You remember how you got in the ark? It was only one way in the ark. You got in through the side, and you went out through the top. That's exactly what's going to happen for us tonight that are safe. We got in through the riven side of Christ. We got in through the blood of Christ on Calvary, His death on the cross, and we're going to get out through the top of this thing. Somebody said one time, I was trying to think how was they said it, they said, we're going out of here like Superman, amen. We're going out of here in the rapture of the church, going, going out. That's how Noah and his family, they took the top off the ark. They didn't come back out that side door, they went out the top. 
What a great picture of Christ. So tonight, you and I that are saved, we can rest assured that we're sealed. You say, is that really important? Well, you just look around you. Look around you. I'll say this and I'll be done tonight. Look at what's going on in our world. Look at society, how it gets worse and worse. It waxes worse and worse. And all the things that are going on in our country and our nation and the turmoil and the chaos and the confusion. And tonight, you and I as believers, we're sealed up in Christ Jesus. We're sealed up because of what he did on Calvary. Because of justification, we're wrapped up. The Bible said we're hid with Christ in God. We're, we're wrapped up completely tonight. Nothing can get to us. No one can get to us. We have a hope tonight, like I mentioned this morning, because of our present condition. And tonight, no matter what we may go through, we can have joy, we can have peace in knowing that we're in Christ. And Paul sums that up here at verse 11. Before he goes into verse 12 dealing with sanctification, he, he finishes after a couple chapters and a half of dealing with this great truth of justification. And, and I hope tonight, I hope everyone here tonight has at least a working understanding, a working knowledge of justification. It is a tremendous doctrine. If you still fully don't get it tonight, go back. Begin in chapter 3, verse 21 and read it through to chapter 5, verse 11. Read it again, read it again. You need to have under your spiritual belt the understanding of justification tonight. We may not understand all of it, but we need to understand that it is. We need to understand it's a major Bible doctrine. It'll help you in the midnight hour. It'll help you in the dark days of your life, knowing that you're in Christ, knowing that we're sealed in Him, knowing that we've passed from death unto life. That's one of the indicators of a saved person, passing from death unto life and loving the brethren. There are several indicators in the Scripture, knowing that that is through what Christ did for us and that we've received Him. What a joy that is tonight. I hope this will be a help to us. We'll, we'll finish right there this evening with these days that we've been looking at the doctrine of justification. It's a tremendous truth. And again tonight, I encourage you to go back in the days to come and, and read up on it and study more about this truth of justification. Teach it to your children. It's very important. There are many people tonight that don't understand this, some that don't even believe it. But I think it is a mainstay doctrine for believers tonight. We've got to understand it. If we're going to have peace, we're going to have joy, we're going to do anything for the Lord. If I didn't know I was justified tonight, I'd have a hard time preaching. I'd have a hard time witnessing to people. I wouldn't even have anything. You know, I'd go to them and say, well, I hope you get saved. I hope you can get saved. You know, I, I hope God will keep you. What a miserable life. I'm glad I know tonight because of what Jesus did. What a, what a comfort, what a peace. Let's stand tonight, if you will. Musicians, y'all come get something. Give you an opportunity to come.